previously on Spies Like Us. Welcome back to Spies Like Us. This is part two of our episode about the actual film Spies Like Us from 1985. And if you listen to the prior episode, you already know that we broke format for this one. Yeah, we did the episode with uh, Yammering Lou and just talked about the movie in general. And then in this episode, just you and me, we're going to just purely drill down into the tradecraft of uh, the Spies Like Us movie. And, uh, you know, I mean, we both agree there's not all that much to drill into here. No, uh, not really. But uh, whatever nuggets we can find, you can count on us to completely overanalyze in this episode of Spies Like Us. So first off, uh, you know, GLG20, that's, that's made up. There's no such thing. Of course. I'm sure there's some weird acronym that Acquery has for it, though. Oh, that's possible. Uh, some some other like TV series, very minor TV series, like used it as a name of a spy gadget or something. So, oh, oh. Some, somebody thought this movie was interesting enough to reference. <laughs> yeah. that, that someone was not me. Yeah, or me. All right, questions. Why would it matter if there was a leak in the training program? Well, because I mean, then then you could. Uh, once they get out, it's kind of like why most intelligence agencies recruit out of college. You have some young, new, fresh, uh, you know, uh, ambitious type getting excited into the new world of whatever they're jumping into, and it, it's a concern, you know, because it's not the tr- it's not what they learned in training. It's the fact that they can start them early. Sure. Now, I think, uh, aren't we supposed to, to, isn't this another one of those cases like Armand Flint where they say, like, we just lost, like, some of our best guys? Well, that's that's exactly what they said. They're like, oh, we got our two best guys on it. Well, our last two guys were the best two guys. Right. And, yeah. you know, so did those guys just go right through training? Like, you know, like the leak part, it's just, it, it, it makes no sense. Minus oh, I see points. what you're saying. Yeah, because that training was, like, super quick. I mean... They did kind of mention that they like raced them through training, so I don't know. But if, if if presumably if you're at that level of intelligence and you run through that training, you've already been through some kind of training. Unlike our two uh, decoys here, you know, it's not like they make a big deal out of it. I mean, they appear concerned in this early scene, and this yeah. is like supposedly the point of why they're gonna run because there's a leak in the training program, which doesn't make sense on its face then now that's going to make you say, okay, so we'll run some more guys through the training program, but these will be fake guys. Um, yeah. Well, it seemed like a race pl- plot point, kind of like we discussed with the Emmering Lou, that a lot of this movie was just kind of written overnight, probably. <laughs> you should have people already trained for the job. So, uh, And then also, like uh, they say they're going to assign them to the foreign office. Which uh, the foreign office doesn't do this kind of thing at all, uh, that that of the kind of mission that we're. Seeing. Oh right, right. Like there's there might be spies in the foreign office, but they're not going to be parachute dropped in a giant what box in the middle of Pakistan. Yeah, no, no. Right. That's not that's <laughs> that's not the kind of spying that they do. We could say right now. I mean, there's so little spying in this movie, crossing. Uh, you know, without permission into hostile enemy territory to, uh, you know, grab one of their nuclear warheads, ICPMs or whatever. I mean, that that counts as spying, right? 
Yeah, but this would probably be more military intelligence than it would be, or at least they would have sent someone to oversee military intelligence. Like, this isn't something you would send these two guys into. I would see see using the CIA. Right, but you wouldn't send the CIA... Well, you would send, like, someone to oversee... Probably... Like, I'm with you, it's a little far-fetched as to why you would send those two guys that have been you know, pretty much desk clerks that in the intelligence agency on this type of mission, you would have gotten somebody that has a ton of field experience that you don't have to worry about, like, stepping on a mine somewhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but you might have, like, uh, like an intelligence officer, like a CEO, or, like, you know, at least, like, a team of analysts, like, at base camp somewhere. But the two guys you sent into, I don't think you would send, like, a CIA, unless that guy had, like, years of experience and he was still young enough to like run across a desert and ride a camel. So just all this stuff, all just all this setup stuff, it all combines to be my, my number two worst craft, uh, trick craft, just that the, the setup, it, it's sloppy. It doesn't make sense. It, it references agencies. Even if this was for some reason, a good idea, like this is not how you do it. And, and they're referencing like the wrong agencies for this particular job. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, minus points. I don't know. I don't know if you even want to call them spy points, but minus points for all the training. Absolutely. I, the training had really no help. Uh, I, I I I did get a laugh out of the plane falling. That was pretty funny. But uh, other than that, I think that was more of a relief laugh. That's what we kind of agreed on. I think that's exactly how I feel about it. I feel like I was waiting to laugh like so long that that plane just dropping out of nowhere. It just, I don't know. It just, it just triggered, you know, this well of, of wanting to laugh at something. And then just, you know, I don't know, just seeing, like just seeing someone get kicked in the balls. If, if, you know, it's, (laughs) it's not, it's not funny, but if you're really, really wanting to laugh at something and you've been waiting a long time, like you, you get a laugh out of a ball kick. Uh, even even like the g-force training i'm not sure what that was for unless like the parachute drop didn't work right and it's like lewis said like you know and and you're saying as well like everything they do in training like none of it pertains to what they actually need to do no you know and and even what they need to do is really just what to like you know their instructions are just to basically you know Go here and find your contacts. Oh, you didn't find your contacts? Then go here and, and find your contacts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. you didn't find your contacts? Is there, whatever, you know? Like, yeah. Just, just kind of go go wander around and, and be funny. Right, right. Which, which I, is mission failed. I mean, the well, I, I mean, to, to be fair-ish or like at least stretch for them. Sure. They, they were planned decoys, right? And... Uh, the training they went through meant nothing. So anybody spying on them would think this training was relevant. And so I guess it's a good uh, decoy play, but I mean, that's a stretch to begin with. Uh, I mean, there's not going to be a bog in the middle of Pakistan. (laughs) Yes. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Good point. That's one of the ones I was thinking of. Yeah. (laughs) But Um... I I do, I don't know if I should, I don't know if we're going to talk about this, yet but you know i'm going to put my number one tradecraft was setting up the decoys it was really hard for me to find good tradecraft in this and and i'm going to just say uh the idea of 
planning eggs, you know, decoys to try and get the other two spies in, I think was cool ish. I, I, I guess it was a good play. I don't, I don't know. But they, that was the best I could find. Yeah, as far I as mean, I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, uh, the man who knew too little was kind of a struggle to find any uh, decent tradecraft to, to thumbs up. And there was a um, lot more to pick from. I think there was. Because yeah. even though, like, it was, um, like, you know, again, like a bump, you know, there's a similarity here. This guy is just, like, bumbling his way through a spy movie. These guys are kind of bumbling their way through a spy movie. But he, like, the Bill Murray character actually felt like he was bumbling through a spy movie of spies doing spy stuff. And this kind of just isn't even that. Like, it's not so much that, you know, like a struggle to find the good tradecraft in here. It's kind of like difficult to find anything to call tradecraft at all. Yeah, to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, I do have, I do have an interesting thing to chew in on. Uh, this is going to be one of my trademark, like, just like find like this one tiny thing in the movie and just really look up, uh, and research everything about it. But, uh, uh, the line of, of Akrid's character, you know, when his, his boss is sweating him over, you know, like, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And, you know, uh, and Akrid says the line, he says, uh, you know, the Chinese were only using a simple polyphonetically grouped 20-square-digit key transposed in boostrophedonic form with multiple nulls. Which, you know, me being me, I got to know. Like, is that word salad, or, or, or are these actual terms you would use in encryption? You want to hear what I got? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, good. Uh, let's start with polyphonetic. Polyphonetic doesn't mean really anything in this context, because all chi like Chinese is just is a polyphonetic language. All Chinese is polyphonetic. Uh, polyphonetic means you know that thing like you you like I think the first thing any non-Chinese person learns about the Chinese language is you know you'll hear like you know like in grade school or something someone will tell you like oh yeah you got to be careful in Chinese because you know if you say the word for cow or the the word for mom like the wrong way like it's the word for cow oh like uh inflective yeah yeah so yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. oh so that's like the technical term for inflect because i know chinese is very very inflective right Poly not as much as the southeast asians but yeah okay so that's what that is okay yeah i had no idea what the hell that meant i was like what <laughs> okay so it's a great sounding word but doesn't actually mean anything um I can only speculate what 20 square digits might mean. Um, I don't know. I might want to just skip over that one. I couldn't actually find any reference to that. It could have something to do with using square numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, like maybe it's like the first, they use the first 20 uh, square numbers, like one, three, seven, or nine, whatever. Well, that's probably, he probably meant the algorithm. Because I, I know, but algorithms are generally based on prime numbers. Uh, but that's probably what he meant. I don't know. Yeah, it. I, I. I imagine it's got something to do with prime numbers. Um, but but I couldn't find an actual uh, reference in in any like uh, uh, cryptography stuff that that actually talks about like specifically the term twenty square digit key. You know, I couldn't I couldn't figure out what that means. Moving on though, like I like this word. This is a great word. Booster phedonic. Uh huh. Okay, so transposed in booster phedonic form. Booster phedonic 
is a, a, a method of writing that was used by some of the ancient Greeks. Like, and when I say ancient, I mean like Bronze Age, like carving shit on stone tablets uh -huh. kind of shit. And it means when, okay, you know, like uh, usually you write uh, a line, like you, you start writing from left to right and you proceed mm -hmm. to the right. And when you get it to the end of the line, we drop over back to the next line over on the left side and, uh -huh. and keep writing again in the same right. direction. Booster Fedonic is more like a snake form. You write left, you write the first line left to right, and then you drop down, and the next line is written right to left, and then drop down and. Oh, so kind of like a snake. Yeah. Oh. Oh. So that's that's interesting, and I could see how that could possibly be used, like, uh, to make something harder, like text, more difficult to decrypt because uh you know encryption you're using computers usually and they're like looking for like like patterns and if you do this those patterns are going to be harder to uh to isolate mm -hmm. but you know like if but if i gave you the unencrypted version of the message you could easily just look at it and instantly see what's going on uh-huh you know and you'd yeah. be like oh i just need to read it this way right um <laughs> But but it would be hard. It would make it harder for a computer to crack. Problem with that though is that uh, they're talking about a, a tra like an audio transmission in this scene, and not text. Oh well, that doesn't work. Right, and and I can tell that it's an audio transmission because uh, the guy described it as static filled, uh -huh. and there's there's not really such a thing as static filled text right uh, right 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 so there's that so so and like you can't you can't speak like you can't speak in booster fedonic like where uh -huh. how would you know where the there's there's no end of the line in in speech there's no logical place to drop down and even if you did somehow train people to speak i mean it's it's just it's impossible it it how would you even do that? Like, like right. uh, I speak six words forward and then six, the next six words, I'm going to speak backwards or, or in reverse, uh, speak like Yoda or something. Worse than that. Yeah. Worse than that. <laughs> I would have to actually like, like say each word, like almost like, uh, Oh, you know, like when you play a record backwards, uh -huh. it would be like, Oh that. yeah. It would uh -huh. be like, hearing the record go forward for a while and then the next for a while it's like the record's going backwards uh so yeah nonsensical but i was interested to find out what booster phonic meant finally he says that there's multiple nulls now null ciphers are also useful in making a message harder to crack uh a null cipher is let's see Oh, a null cipher, like a really good example of a null cipher is if like I wrote you a, a, a little letter and I sent it to you, but you know that you're only supposed to read the first letter of each word uh -huh. and that will spell out the actual message that I'm sending you. Oh, okay. You learn those like in elementary school. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of cases of, of that being used. And that's, again, something like null ciphers are incredibly 
easy to decode. Right. But if they're layered in with other encryption methods, it can make it harder for a computer to decrypt it in the first place. Oh, that's kind of cool. Well, at least we got something out of this. <laughs> right. But again, uh, you wouldn't... Let's see. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, if it were... If, if, for instance, we set aside the static thing and imagine that they were... Uh, that it was a, a text message that they were decoding, uh, Booster Photonic would be cool. Um, but you wouldn't combine it with null ciphers... So the thing about null ciphers, though, is that um, they're they're inc they're really incredibly easy to crack. The purpose of a null cipher is to make a message look like something that doesn't even have a code in it, right? Mm -hmm. To to fool someone into thinking that there's not even any reason to look for a secret message in it because it right. just looks innocuous. It just looks like I don't know a groceries list, right, right, or or instructions to feed my cat. Right. Um, right. Or like and, a love and, letter or something. Right. So if you combined uh, like null cipher in with like other encryption methods, like for instance, booster photonic, if we set aside for the moment that the static indicates it's an audio uh, file, I, I keep saying file like it's a computer thing, but an audio transmission. Yeah. Um, you know, if you combine, if you put these other encryption things in there, then the null cipher is completely useless in the first place. Because once they decrypt, it doesn't make the, the entire message any harder to decrypt. Once they've decrypted it, they're easily going to crack through the null cipher. And the whole purpose of the null cipher thing was to be something that they wouldn't think there was any point in them trying to decode in the first place. So... Oh. Mr. Ackroyd, I applaud you for actually like using some terms that have something to do with cryptography, but right. they're misused uh -huh. in this instance. Yeah. Minus five points. Minus five points. I did, though, I did think it's cool that uh, he uh, decoded it with the cereal box toy, which is an allusion to the Captain Crunch whistle that we discussed in uh, the sneakers episode. Yeah. Yeah, that was some really good stuff from Ackroyd. Uh, it kind of was a letdown because, you know, it set the character for him to be this, like, awesome decoder type, which never was really used later, except for, like, a couple times. I don't know. But one thing I did want to talk about was, uh, uh, you know, because th this decoding part was the pre-training moment. Uh, the Before they actually get pulled up, they had to go take a test. And I wanted to talk about my number three worst tradecraft was at the test-taking uh, Chevy Chase showed up with like a quote unquote broken arm and an eye patch. And, uh, it was the most ridiculous cheating, uh, cover ups ever. Like his hand and the broken arm was like super tiny, which he pulled out his real arm to scratch his face anyway. And like, he had like a hit. It was, it was bad cheating and his whole like big escapade that he had, you know, uh, especially not noticing the proctor, like obviously noticed him like cheating and turned on those obvious cameras that anybody could see. That whole scene was silly to begin with, especially Ackroyd jumping in. So I didn't, I didn't really care for that. Anyway, that's going to be my number three worst trade crop was Chevy Chase cheating. It was bad. Okay. I mean, it's definitely played for laughs. I think it's, I think it's actually kind of low key, like one of the funniest scenes in the film, but that's not saying a lot. 
Yeah. <laughs> really not. Um, so all that out of the way, they do, uh, they do start their mission by being dropped into Pakistan. And I want to point out my number three worst tradecraft here uh, for the agency. They're dropped in an Ace Tomatoes box. And uh, we, we might remember from the beginning of the film, Ace Tomatoes was the place where they, uh, you know, originally, like, received the satellite transmission of the, right. of the Russian ICBM. So that's, you know, obviously, like, their cover company. I, I kept wondering whether or not I should quibble. Like, you know, like, when they got they get that, you know, important intelligence out, mm-hmm. and then they put it in an Ace Tomatoes van and head toward, you know, the Capitol or the State Department, it, you know, it looks like. I'm, I'm assuming these guys are supposed to be DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. They never identify themselves as such. I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, jumping around a little bit. But the, the guys that set Ackroyd and Chase up as their patsies, the guys that are running the, what did you call them, the GLGO20s? GLG20s or whatever, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know they're 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 definitely in Washington. They never said they were DIA, but when the Russians showed up in Pakistan, that was the you know pretending to be their contacts. They introduced themselves as DIA, so that part kind of makes sense. We have this other agency that's uh you know masquerading as the Ace Tomatoes Company, and you know I wondered about the fact that like you load the message in the truck and then you've got to drive very, very, very slowly through this huge warehouse yard that's full of, like, people, you know, going back and forth in trucks and forklifts and workers and stuff. And, you know, God God forbid you ever actually have any, like, intelligence that you need to, like, deliver quickly. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, it could make it much harder to identify the Ace Tomatoes Company as the seat of your little secret, uh, you know, intelligence place. Right. And I think I think what might have might have been going on there too is uh, I don't know if you ever caught, but the um, the arm of the MI6 that that James Bond works for, uh-huh. um, they always use Universal Exports as their cover. Like in, in, oh, okay, all, yeah. in all the movies, they never draw a huge amount of attention to it. But so that's probably why why you know Ace Tomatoes is I don't know again <clears throat> supposed to be funny or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I I I I think you have a really good point. If this is supposed to be your top secret headquarters, I wouldn't throw that into the middle of Pakistan because right someone in pakistani intelligence or any other intelligence agency on the planet will be like who the hell is ace tomatoes and now that place is going to be under surveillance that's why it gets my minus five points for sure but you could could put any logo you want any logo you want on that thing the last logo in the world you know is is ace tomatoes because if anybody's paying attention they're gonna they're gonna look that up right but i did want to say I think it was a, a parody of the Pickle Factory, which kind of make me ah like right, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I like that. Yeah, but uh, uh, other than that, that's 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 the stretch that I have for that. <laughs> Pickle Factory being uh, a the very CIA. hilarious reference yeah. to the to uh, nickname for the CIA that uh, Dave and I uncovered lately. Yeah. Uh, 
man, I wish we had known that when we when we started this podcast. I might I might have I might have been willing to name this podcast the Pickle Factory. Yeah. No, nobody would have known what what the fuck they were clicking on though. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no to that. Yeah. <laughs> Pakistan, though. Pakistan. Does Pakistan make sense for this mission? Here, I actually find some really favorable things to say about the movie. Uh, You know, the geography that they travel through, like starting uh, with Pakistan, um, you know, they're they're, over the course of the movie, they're going to travel from Pakistan to, uh, and they're going to, they they make reference to uh, the road to Dushanbe. Which yep. again is supposed to be like a you know I mean a super secret who the fuck is gonna get this like <laughs> reference to all the Bing Crosby and Bob Hope movies which were all called like the Road to Singapore, the Road to Tokyo, the Road to Marrakesh or whatever like right. that was like the formula of it. Um, but uh, Dushan Bay itself, where they're supposed to head to after they meet their contacts is the capital of Tajikistan, mm-hmm. which I believe would have been within Soviet borders at the time. Uh, and, and their drop point in Pakistan means they'd have to go through Afghanistan to get there, which they do. And uh, so, you know, I pulled up maps and like kind of, you know, paid attention to all the names of the places that they go or say that they're going. And it all actually clocks. This does seem like legit, uh, where you would possibly drop some people just outside of the Soviet borders and and sneak them up in there, and even the uh, the area of the Soviet Union that you would access uh-huh. uh, uh, by this route, uh, you know, I'm just going by Google Maps here. You know, I don't actually know what the terrain looks like there, but just looking from Google Maps, it does look like high mountains and forest. Uh, the kind of which that we see like at the end of the movie when they get there. So props plus geography points. Yeah. Yeah, at least they got that together. I don't know. Yeah. I I actually thought it was kind of cool that they they went through like the roads and we got a little bit of a lot, especially when we get to like the cold areas and they had to throw on the giant fur. Which they had, I, I, I don't know how they had that stuff packed. That's that's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this is where we get to the drop and uh, these two very Ivy League looking appropriated white America uh, fraternity bros show up. After they're held up at gunpoint by some natives, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess confirms the 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 leak because we very quickly find out that these are are Russians badly pretending to be very American contacts. Yes, sir. And again, like like I said, like you know, supposedly there's a leak in the training program, and this I mean seems to like support that theory. Um, but the movie doesn't have any interest. I mean, it's not explicitly stated and there's no, the movie has no interest in exploring that, uh, you know, any further or, or talking about like, no, at no point does someone like, you know, say, how did the Russians know that they were going to be there in the middle of fucking Pakistan? Other than the giant ace tomato box that they dropped 
<laughs> in right, right, right. In any movie that was even slightly more interested in actually being even a bad spy movie, that's interesting stuff. That yeah, you know, how did they find out? Wonder yeah, how did they... and yeah, right, right, right. And you know, they should be maybe like worried about what happened to their actual contacts. You would think. Minus spy points. Yeah, but these two guys aren't uh, the most privy, I guess, which is why they were selected. I mean, minus spy points on Ackroyd because he's supposed to be the more aware one. But he is the one that picks up on your favorite moment of the film. <laughs> oh, it's, it's I don't know. I don't know if I call it my favorite. But yeah, I know. I was, I was being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Are we talking yeah. about the watch? We're talking about the watch. Let's talk about the let's talk about the watch. I you know, it's supposed to be this like, you know, it's it's not even especially clever. It's so it's so like, you know, tossed out there or whatever, just scribbled under the page, like like who who is writing this stuff and thinking, you know, oh my god, this is genius. <laughs> I gotta put another fucking pot of coffee on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's workshop this. <laughs> right. Um but you know, like everything about everything about these guys, like screams American in a way that also doesn't itself make sense because you know their contacts should be operating undercover out there. They shouldn't just be like wandering around in their J Crew catalog yuppie ass fucking sweaters and and polo shirts in the middle of the goddamn desert. Right. 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 <laughs> and it's and it's the fact that he's got. A, a Russian-made watch that that clues you into this. I call bullshit. I mean, the 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 watch is probably the the most mm, natural thing about these guys. They're operating in Pakistan. The guy needed to buy a watch. You know what kind of watches they have in Pakistan? They have Russian Casios in Pakistan. Yeah. That's yeah. what kind of fucking watch you can buy there. Yeah. In fact, the watch was the most, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, inconspicuous part of the garb. They were dressed like, like, like I had that feeling of uh, what was it, in Gilligan's Island, the 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 millionaire and his wife. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I'm, I'm they, they, that's that's the type of vernacular they had. Like, hi, it's good to see you guys. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. They got like sweater, like with the sleeves wrapped around their neck. They're in the middle of Pakistan, and they're dressed like they just like took took a day out on the golf course or something. Like, you know, like we're 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 gonna go 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 spend some time at the club with uh you know the the Stevensons. <laughs> that's how they're talking and how they dress. So like the the watch is probably the only thing they have that makes them like blend in, on top of like this this like openly colorful like costuming that makes them look like I don't know they they just did some trades on Wall Street and are just gonna go relax at the the country club. I'll go ahead and say, in a in a in a even slightly smarter movie, it might have been like an American watch. That like clued Ackroyd in, like some or something that like clued him in that like, like to say these guys are trying too hard to look American in the middle of Pakistan when they should be our real contacts <laughs> should be trying very hard to look like anything but 
Right. I do like the part where he makes him laugh at a joke in Russian, though. Yeah, that was. <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> I'll give a like hat. I'll give a half a spy point on that, and that's only because I'm grading on a curve. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very generous of you. <laughs> half a spy point. Yeah. But I think you're right. They they should really be worried about what happened to the actual contacts, which never actually happened. They just kind of move on into like you know, get it the getaway and run into the the you know, uh, what is this? The Yusuf I'll 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 say Yusuf Zai. Okay. Right? Right. And uh, that's uh, that's after they ditch the Russians, and and this is again like some really good, really good uh, geography points for the movie because uh, these are uh, the you know he he's he says these are the Yusufzai, and they're they're Afghans that are uh, Pashtuns that mm-hmm. are found in Pakistan and eastern Afghanistan, precisely where this movie like this part of the movie is supposed to take place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I that that was just cool to me. I like I, I was honestly like surprised. Like so much of the stuff I looked up in this movie, I was like, okay, that's garbage. Okay, that's garbage. Okay, that's garbage. And it's weird that like they got all this stuff about like this these very specific like variations of like tribes and uh, areas of of this part of the world that like American audiences don't fucking know anything about. Right. Well, like, for the why... time, it would have been really helpful because isn't this during the Russian occupation in the Olympics where we boycotted the Olympics when they around this around this time? 85. It was in the eighties. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, so this could have been a propaganda film, a little bit, trying to get us more uh, culturally aware of the Pakistan and Afghanistan uh, groups that were pro America at the time. Because I think this is when they run into them. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is like, oh, these guys are our allies. Right, and then immediately get rounded up. Yeah. <laughs> which which is, which that part, but then that part, like, like that falls apart because actually these people were pro-American. These are not the, these are not the kind of like Taliban guys that, that you run into uh, in present day Afghanistan. These, these were like, you know, uh, pro well, I don't know if they were pro democracy necessarily. They, they were anti occupation. Let's let's say they were yeah, anti occupation. Right, right, right. And enemies so they saw us enemy, enemies of our enemies at the very least. Right. Right. And, so and they saw us as the Dan big army. gets it yeah. right by saying they're our allies, but then we immediately cut to just because we have to do some stupid F troop bullshit. Where, right. you know, like, immediately the next scene, they're, like, hanging them over a fire or whatever, like, cannibals. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk, I want to, uh, you know, before we get out of here, too, though, uh, the other, I, I just, I mean, this has nothing to do with it being a spy movie, but uh, just, you know, really cool thing, I thought, that I found, like, uh, okay, so we're talking about the Yusef side, right? Yeah. Malala, Malala Yousafzai. Do you remember that girl that was shot in the head by the Taliban in 2012, and then survived and like and like became like a big like international media sensation and like uh, went on to become like this huge voice for uh, 
like a girl's education in, yeah. in Afghanistan, Pakistan. Yes. She's from this tribe. She's oh, the really? most, she is the single like famous person, at least to us, mm-hmm. you know, Western California dudes. Yeah. <laughs> that we would have. <laughs> in fact, you can see her billboards all over LA. They're the ones, uh, you know, with that girl that, and she's got like a purple, um, what do you, I don't even know what you call it, but, uh, wrapping thing around her head mm. and, and the ones that say like girls should learn history and make it right that's her she's from this oh tribe. oh shit that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah, i thought so yeah and then they get bailed out from that situation by uh the the two real agents which we don't know that they're the real agents yet but it's uh oh what's her name dan Aykroyd's wife donna dixon yeah there we go yeah. Um, Am I supposed to know her from anything else? Not that I know. I'll take that as I'll take that as a no. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, they don't. Well, we the audience and they don't know that they're talking to the real agents. But there's like a, a medical camp set up among uh, the tribe. Uh, and there's a, I guess, a, a posse of doctors, and uh, the two spies, the real ones, identify Ackroyd and Chase as uh, these amazing doctors, internationally world renowned, that have come to save people, and that they're going to perform this brilliant surgery to save this guy's life. Right, and whose whose idea is that? It's it's the the real spies, right? It is, which which I think is actually kind of cool that they did that. Um, and I think it's because they didn't know how to do the surgery, uh, that we find out later, thanks to Ackroyd. But I also kind of wondered at this point, if maybe it was their way of testing out who they were. Right. I, I want to think that her flirting with Chevy Chase is, uh, that she's detected that he's an obvious imposter, or at least she suspects him as such. Yeah. And, uh. Maybe she's uh, actually setting him up to fail in the surgery, which just accomplishes two things for her. It, it, it establishes that he's not who he says he is, mm-hmm. except that it was us, the real spies, that made this thing up of who he said he is. So maybe that doesn't hold up too much. But, uh, but also just the fact that she and her partner couldn't have done the surgery. Uh, so uh, I'll give that plus five points. I'll call it my number one best. It's a good one. It's a really, really good one because uh, it shows that the real spies are. It's you know this is always going to come back, and I think every one of our podcasts, or not everyone, but a lot of them, you know the the thing you said the first podcast we had about the man who knew too much is that this is a story interrupted a great spy story, and we kind of want to know that spy story. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Except, except the difference is. Uh, this one isn't, wasn't even that good of a spy story that we're interrupting. That's where I that's where I think it deviates, even from like the man who knew too little. I don't know. I want to know about her two and a half years of of training to get to the big moment. You know, I kind of I kind of want to her losing, or I guess I don't want to spoiler. She loses her uh, partner. Uh, you know, I I, I want to. I, I kind of want to learn a little bit about that, it, or at least the, 
a little bit more than this whole story. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll jump ahead since you mentioned that she said she trained for this mission for two and a half years. Yeah. This mission was a, re- we know that this mission was a replacement mission for the, for the other guys, their best agents that they just lost. So I don't know. Were they training for two and a half years as the backup team? I think she's lying when she says she trained for this mission for two and a half years. Oh, I think it was more of a professional climb. I mean, I'm not defending the writing in this film at all. And, you know, not to, not to shit on Aykroyd any more than we already have and are going to continue. Because uh, he probably his had, write, you know. His writing, to be yeah. specific, right? Yeah, that's that's uh, you know like it's not him. I'm just saying the writing in this film because he probably had to patch up a lot of things as kind of we discussed in last episode. Uh, but I I, I I I think she meant like her social her her like professional climb up the ladder that she's worked really hard to get to this point that this is where she wants to be. Like not so much specifically for this mission, but she's her her it, it kind. What I got from that was that she spent her whole life become wanting to become this type of an agent, spent the last two and a half years training to be chosen for a mission like this. She's not going to let this get messed up. She's, she's going to stay on mission, and that's, that's the way it is, you know, type of thing. I didn't, I didn't think that uh, it was, uh, oh, we were specifically told we're being trained for this mission for two and a half years. That does make more sense. It does take a little bit of the air out of my balloon on, on calling it my number two best. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, and we're skipping ahead later to, yeah. to later in the film. But, uh, you know, at the point where she does use that, like I trained for two and a half years for this mission. And, mm. you know, my partner was one of the most dedicated GLG-20s in history. Yeah. Which <laughs> also, I think, you know, could very well be cooked up on her part. Right. You know, but it's an appeal to honor and, and whether or not that's whether or not either of those are lies, uh it's it's what she pulls out of her 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 rhetorical arsenal to get them on board to help her complete the mission, which she needs to do because, you know, she's lost her partner and, and I don't know, apparently like this mission probably was not designed to be accomplished by just one guy unless yeah of course that guy is Derek flint yeah he <laughs> does not need a team no not whatsoever he works alone yeah we know this, we know this about him yeah <laughs> uh but uh yeah i mean well yeah so she's got i mean she's She's got some decent moves. She's at least she's got a lot of moves. She's got the best moves of the movie. Pretty much. She's the most. Yeah, she's the most spy-like character here, from from the top of the organization to to everywhere. She's a little bit better than the Russians. She's she's just she's yeah. Other than Terry uh, Gilliam, posing as a German, an American in British films, posing as a German in a. SNL film, <laughs> right? Yeah, Terry Gilliam. You say you say oh, he's posing as a German. I guess I I didn't catch that. Oh, his That's accent a... was sounded pretty German, but maybe I don't know. It's That's... weird. It's I you know uh, scratching my head. I mean, I'm done scratching my head. I've written all my notes, but uh, doesn't it, it doesn't make sense to have him in this movie? Um, this is literally 
his first film role that didn't have to do with Monty Python or his own films. Right. Uh, and on looking it up, I was surprised. Like he actually shows up in almost all of his own films, just kind of like, like Hitchcock does. Yeah. You know, like in the background or something. And he's got some minor roles in his Monty Python stuff. And, uh, but he doesn't, you know, never minding him showing up in his own work. Like he doesn't do another, uh, acting role until 21 years after this in 2006. Uh So it's really, it's a, you got to call that a cameo then, right? Yeah, Uh, absolutely. But it it was probably like an SNL type of where, you know, we're buddies type of thing. Like come help us out or come show up. I mean, there was a lot of cameos in this film. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a surprising number of them are directors. Yeah. Terry Gilliam, for instance, and then we also just, just out of the blue, and again for for no reasons that make any sense to me, <laughs> the the two guards, the the first two guards that we meet uh, when the DIA spooks go to, I forget if it's Arizona or Nevada, but whatever wherever the the secret underground base is, you know what I'm talking right. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the where they had to order the Pepsi's. <laughs> right, yeah, right, the exactly. Placement scene. Those yeah. first two guys is Sam Raimi and Joel Cohen. What? Again, total cameos out of uh-huh. nowhere. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why. Like, maybe I don't know. They're just director buddies. Yeah. Of this guy who's like, hey, do you want to be in this film? Maybe they were like huge fans of the Blues Brothers or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this does have as many cameos as the Blues Brothers did, it looks like, because there was a lot of them. Right. And and again, like, yeah, it's a bunch of directors. And then, of course, the Bob Hope one, which does make sense, but only if you do the research. Because you actually, I mean, you know, like, for instance, like Family Guy did a whole series of parodies on the road movies. Uh-huh. Um. And I think that those, at least, probably, like, some audiences would have identified them as being homages to the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby thing. But this one, and I say this without having seen those movies, um, but but I still feel fairly confident that nobody is understanding why the fuck Bob Hope shows up in this movie <laughs> for five seconds. Uh, unless unless they do a, a wiki search. And, Which and, they didn't have know, at the time. <laughs> we, right, and there was no internet at the time, so what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I mean well, it's the, true. The, the it's true. Of... I, am often, I am often guilty of inserting jokes into my own work that only I will get <laughs> right, right. without, without caring about whether or not the rest of the world uh, gets them. So I can't, uh, you know, I can't call the kettle too black in this case, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's an annoying habit and, and I, I should probably stop it. I'm not going to stop it, but uh, yeah, but we do get, the funniest moment of the entire film that was actually pretty funny. By far. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they first meet the tent of doctors and uh, have a whole discussion about them pulling off this surgery that no one in the world can pull off other than the two of them. Uh, and uh, 
<laughs> they're they're uh, I guess greeting, and then uh, their leaving greeting is just everyone in the tent addressing each other as doctor, 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 doctor. Every doctor, single one. Do- every single one. I got the script then, page. I got the script pages. By the way, we're gonna. Are you serious? Is it? We're gonna put them on Facebook. It's three pages of doctor, 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 doctor. It's fucking three. It's fucking three pages of that shit. It goes through the entire list of all the characters in that tent. That made it almost worth it to finish all of this. <laughs> but uh, and then when they leave, they go through the entire thing ever all over again, and they call each other just doctor, doctor, doctor. And as soon as everybody leaves, Dan Aykroyd. Looks uh, Chevy Chase in the face, just deadpan. He's like, we're not doctors. We're not doctors. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to put this as my number three best tradecraft is uh, them just going with the flow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really pulling here. But, uh, yeah, uh, apparently this was good enough to fool the, the, the giant group of doctors other than Terry Gilliam. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, because this is kind of like happens in this ish part of the movie, but this is where the the DIA spooks go to Wamp, uh, which for no reasons that are explained to us, like why they get called there to this like underground bunker. And uh, again, just quick check for thoroughness. Wamp doesn't mean anything. It's not a real thing. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we all believe that the army has uh you know super secret underground bunkers like this oh we know they do yeah they're all over the country there's like a bunch of them um but not like to what they showed in the movie but there's tons of underground yeah facilities but but not not like not like this uh uh like uh our man flint type of yeah, yeah, and that elevator was silly. People would be flying off the elevator, <laughs> dropping down that fast. This, yeah, right. Yeah, another case too of like this movie just kind of spending quite a bit more money than seems necessary. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had a they they probably had the budget that Blues Brothers did. I, I think at one point. The Blues Brothers had the most expensive car crash in film history for like I don't know. 20 years or something probably uh you know like movie budgets in general they're really hard to uh track down and pin down because because studios are very secretive about that shit yeah and they've had caps it was actually paint your wagon that created budget caps so anything after paint your wagon has a solid budget cap it's kind of like the music in the 70s where they would just let bands like live at the studio and burn all this cash because they had to have their artistic uh, dream come alive, and then at some point they were like, "You guys need to put something out." Like, but, <laughs> but right, okay. But but yeah, Paint Your Wagon still has not broken even because of how much money was spent on that film. Which is why really? probably I didn't saw, know that. Yeah, uh, that's probably why it was syndicated on Comedy Central so much and on television so much because it was. It was just silly how much money was spent on it. I mean, you probably had to pay uh, Clint Eastwood a pretty penny to sing like that. You want to hear some sad statistics? Oh, uh, yes. All right. All right. This, this movie made 
sixty million dollars has or has to date made sixty million dollars. And if you look at nineteen eight, you know, because movie like, you know, like I said, budgets are really secretive and hard to find, but but it's relatively easy to figure out how much a movie is actually pulled in. Right. Um, there's only four, I think I'm gonna, I want to say four movies in 1985 that made more than this. Uh-huh. And, and some of them are like ultra super performers like Rambo two, I think tops the list at like 250 million that it's made so far clue. Here's the depressing part. Clue came out this year. Uh-huh. Vastly, I love that movie. superior movie. Vastly uh-huh. superior movie. Not even a question. Spies Like Us has made sixty million. Clue has only made thirteen. Oh my god, that's depressing. It's very depressing. Well, I know, I know, I know. Clue did terrible at the box office because they it was the first they they had the three different endings and which whichever theater you went to had a different ending or something. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And, and I know it didn't do well. It, it it ended up doing better in syndication because it became a cult classic. Like I don't know, decades later. It's also a movie. It's also a movie that doesn't translate almost at all uh, across, like internationally. Oh well, that's or, true. And it was like, based. It was everyone, based on a everyone. Play. Everyone can get down with Rambo too. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's probably why the Marvel films do so well, and all the you know, like franchise films do so well because they're they're very broad audience, very uh, propaganda friendly. Uh, I guess. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole necessarily. Well, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, more and more, like a scary thing that's happening is that like more movies are being tailored to the Chinese audience. Because, well, yeah, because yeah. that's such a huge uh, thing, and I think that um, I forget. This is a couple of years ago. There was some movie where they even rewrote they rewrote the dialogue. So that the the words that the American actors were speaking would be easier to dub the Chinese version into. Oh wow! <laughs> like, like it goes to that level of detail, and yeah. plus, never minding the fact that, like, you know, just like I think it's going to be a long time before we see any major Hollywood movie say anything bad about China. Oh, never. It's never going to happen whatsoever. And like you can see things starting to get more watered down to a more abstract uh, or I guess broader state so that you can hit any audience, which Clue does not accomplish. Clue was placed on a play that was heavy in dialogue. You know, plays are heavy. I mean, plays are just dialogue to begin with, you know, and and then you make a movie about it. And all of the actors are American except for Tim Car- Tim Curry, you know. Uh, it yeah, it's that's not a movie that's going to translate well anywhere else, uh, except for maybe England and America. And and on top of that, Clue was very 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 satirical, which would have been anti-propaganda for whoever. You know, it's definitely against the machine. You know. Uh, and especially with the lines, communism was a word herring that you hear like three times. That's not going to work well in China. How did we get off on this tangent? Uh, Got some minus five points. 
Yeah. Although it's it's funny that uh, you know our hapless dudes make a collect call and yeah. explain their whole situation to an AT and T operator. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, they go undercover. The first time we actually see them blend in with the crowd, uh, it, which is I, I guess kind of cool that they're starting to get better as they're moving along. I guess. Uh, but I am going to say that this point is my number two worst tradecraft because uh, at at the toll booth or whatever, Chevy Chase spots uh, the doctor uh, and he starts chasing her again. Oh, I guess we didn't talk about his flirtatious moments with her at the previous tent moment. But yeah, I think I, well, I think we did. And, and my take on it was that I, I want to believe that she was. Um pretending to succumb to his advances literally to draw him out oh we don't we don't, yeah. we don't get any support for that hypothesis but i want right. to be kind to her and i'm looking for good tradecraft in this movie and that is you know i mean you got you got two things you could believe here is either she's a dumb blonde that really thinks that the chevy chase whole i'm chevy chase and you're not shtick is a panty dropper yeah <laughs> or you or you can believe that she's an intelligent operative that is seeing someone that probably isn't who he says he and you know and she can she can use his horniness against him in uh you know getting some information out and if oh. i have to choose between those two i'm just gonna choose the one that i like more which is the latter yeah, and well, I think we get a little bit of support because when he he actually approaches her at the toll stop or whatever, she's like, "Don't touch me." So we know she wasn't actually interested in him. So that that really shows her uh, ability to seduce someone, um, and and his inability to like pay attention to anything. The the guy with the uh, utmost diplomatic skills which don't ever really work for him except for like what twice. And it's by accident. Right. And at this point, like I will give Ackroyd's character, like some plus by points for, you know, like, uh, you know, okay. They got no support. They got no idea what to do. Like, uh, like the idea of let's like going native, you know, of, of dressing up like locals. I mean, that's something that like, you know, like uh, in any, movie that was even attempting to be a better spy movie would have been their first move mm -hmm. but at least he finally you know kind of shows some glimmer of like thinking about their situation at this point yeah absolutely uh and that's what i'm saying they're, they're i guess getting better as they're uh going down the road <laughs> a bit better a bit better yeah they yeah. get uh they get uh split up at the border Mm -hmm. Uh, Ackroyd makes his escape and Chevy Chase gets captured. Uh, I did notice about this, like that our, our Russians from Pakistan show up pretty quickly, uh, yeah. after the, these, uh, you know, like, I mean, I got to assume that this, um, you know, the two Russian cops or army guys, uh, border know, patrol. Exactly. Border I think that's patrol. What yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that's a pretty low like low pay, low prestige kind of job, you know, this is probably not the most important border, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, 
and I mean, Soviet Union's got a lot of fucking border to protect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's like protecting Asia and risk, right? <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I like. I mean, you know, I noticed that the the fact our Russian guys showed up real quick, um, and I wondered, does that make sense? I think it does. I think it does because I think that they would have put out an APB or whatever the you know. 1985 Russian Border Patrol equivalent is to notify the KGB if the if guys matching Ackroyd and Chase's descriptions were seen. Yeah. So that's a little plus five points. Yeah. Yeah. Major plus five points. Okay. Yeah. It works. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, I. I, I I, I'm going to put this my number two best tradecraft, and I think it's your number three during the interrogation. Oh, yeah. They're, they're trying to figure out why Chevy Chase is there, and he's being a smartass, and none of it's working. And finally, he's like, all right, you know what? I came to assassinate the Russian premier. And they're like, aha, I knew it. <laughs> so instead of stonewalling, he he basically makes up a lie, and it works. It's actually his only... Plus by points in the movie, I think, yeah. the Chevy Chase character. Uh, this is actually the right play. Uh, your other two plays would be uh, stonewalling and just saying, like, oh, I ain't going to say nothing. Yeah. I want to talk, <laughs> talk to my embassy guy. Yeah. Or telling the truth, which I, I don't even know what he could say that would be telling the truth. Like, I don't know. I was dropped in a tomato crate and told to fucking, like, <laughs> wait for further orders. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. My number three best. Your number two best. It's much better to uh, tell a good lie. A good lie that would be, uh, like, um, tasty, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if not necessarily believable, because uh, I, you know, the Russian premier is probably in Moscow, and I, I, I don't have a map in front of me, but I think that's pretty fucking far from the. Yeah, this is kind of the long game border. <laughs> Just playing a long game, yeah. But yeah, tell him, tell him something, tell him something that they want to hear is what he does, and that is always the right play, right? Yeah, always. Especially when it's something that you think that they want to hear that they think that you don't really want them to know. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, good. What do you think about, uh, you know, Karen? That's the Donna Dixon character. She tells Uh Ackroyd immediately, like, uh, when when he catches up with her, she's like, oh, you're the decoys. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's good spy points. Uh, uh, I think the smarter agent could have recruited him. Oh, like assuming that she's like, okay, because she's lost her partner at this point. Yeah. Maybe she does recognize that she's lacking in manpower to complete the mission that she's got, which also like really quick, I got to backtrack and say she actually doesn't fucking know what her mission is. That's also stupid. Yeah. But in, well, I think this is more of like a, a, a kind of a breath of relief or something for her because she remember she spotted them in the desert on the camel and didn't like the advances from Chevy Chase and so she thought they might 
she probably is going through a number of scenarios and then her coming to the conclusion, oh, you're the decoys. Like <laughs> she has nothing right, to worry no, about. I get it. I get it. She yeah. comes to the conclusion, but but is it smart to just say that? Like, oh, you're the dummies. Oh, not at all. But uh, I, uh, one, it's probably a plot point move. And number two, it, it, you know, putting myself in her shoes, she's probably like, oh, oh, you're just the decoys. Oh, okay. Okay, good. <laughs> like, that, it probably just came out because she probably had, being the good spy that she is, had, are these guys spies? Are these just guys weirdos? Who the hell are these guys? that are obviously in and out, uh, you know, crossing paths with us. And then she like realizes, Oh, you're the decor. So it just kind of came out. It's kind of like a, a stress relief type of thing. But yeah, no, you're right. It's definitely probably not the best thing to say, but she, at that point she probably realizes that she has nothing to worry about. I think, I think is uh, what's going on in her head. Doesn't let her off the hook in my opinion. Still, <laughs> it's still, I mean, I mean, yeah, you can say it's, you know, you can you can make excuses for it, but it's it just she could have she could have gotten their help uh, without sharing that piece of information. I mean, she um, did lose her partner just recently, which she yeah, lets it know. So another piece of information she might not have shared, but yeah, no, I yeah, especially since she trained two and a half years for this mission. You know, <laughs> but uh, she's the one that lets them know or lets uh, Ackroyd know about the missile. Uh, one of the things I did want to talk about, uh, and I don't know if this should be here or not, but uh, they find out the location of the ICBM mainly because the Russian or whoever's put in charge of guarding the ICBMs are playing loud 80s disco or is it disco or new wave? I'll, 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 I'll call it disco. Okay, yeah. And, and they're wrong. just dancing up a storm and having a party. That's your number one worst, right? Yes. Yeah. My, yeah, number, it, one, my number one worst is uh, also goes to the same guys. The um, Okay, so again, it, like this movie has no respect for actual timelines. Uh, you know, just because we just, we, the audience, just first saw the ICBM, like, you know, at this point in the movie, like, an hour ago. Right. This is, this is supposed to be, like, months later. They had to go through all the training and everything. And also get dropped in Pakistan. So, like, let's say shortened even if you compressed all that training, like that's that's got to be at least like two months, right? Right, right. Which even that is kind of stupidly short, yeah, for, for what they're doing. But yeah. let's just give the movie at least that much credit that like they they managed that two months of training, and then it's probably like a month at least for them to get from their drop in Pakistan up to this location. Now you got three months that have passed, and. The Russians have not set up their comms. Minus spy points, Todd's worst number one tradecraft. <laughs> it just like you know, like you, you not only are they playing loud ass music in, in the middle of nowhere, they've they've apparently just been doing it for three months and saying, like, I don't know, 
Are we ever gonna, you know, check in? I don't know, check in. <laughs> yeah, like, we got a hey, nuclear missile here. Yeah, we're doing all right, you know. <laughs> Unless they're trying to go dark, but even then, there's probably. Well, in a funnier, like in a funnier movie, you know, it could have been like something like uh, the the novel The Last Detail or something, where like you know, they they, they actually don't like their jobs. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you know what, guys? You know, they sent us out here into Siberia and told us to fucking, you know, set up the comlink. Why don't we just fucking hang out here and, like, drink and and dance to disco music and just wait for them to come <laughs> and fucking find us? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but... How they uh, approach the situation, they dress up like aliens in the middle of the night and uh, try and spook the uh, the guards of the ICBMs. Was this supposed to be funny? Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it. But uh, it's it's another key into the like the Dan Aykroyd mind, you know, as, as we discuss. Like, like he's huge into UFOs and ghosts. Like as a real person in real life, yeah. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, he he, yeah. Some some, you know, there's some mention about like a cow that was stolen. Yeah. <laughs> there's a local legend where a UFO stole a cow from the from some Russian farmers in this area, and you know maybe that has something to do with some weird shit that Dan Aykroyd fucking read. And and thought would be interesting to us, but it's it's just fucking strange. Yeah, absolutely, it's really weird. Uh, from there, they overtake them with their tranquilizers. Uh, the missile's launched. They discover that the missile was supposed to be launched to uh use their to show off their big miss the that the u.s has this big missile defense system right which, defense which system should, doesn't work which we should we should underline too because this is 1985 you got ronald reagan in the white house and uh you know his star wars pet program is uh you know largely like like the kind of overarching point of this movie yeah and uh yeah I, I didn't mean to cut you off i just wanted to make sure we got that in there and like, yeah no no you know, no get, no like the idea is like to to launch a missile to, uh-huh. to basically like you know like i mean it's it's kind of a neat idea like you're sitting like let's say you're sitting there with this star wars system yeah and you're confident it works but if the Russians don't know that it works, then what use is it? And I think even like uh, one of, is it in this movie? Like uh, someone says, uh, one of the generals says, like you know, an unused weapon is a useless weapon. Yeah. And in this case, it's a defensive weapon. Weapon. But uh, so so yeah, I mean, I kind of like that greater concept overall. Is like. What we need to do is figure out how to make the Russians fire an ICBM at us so that we can show them your ICBMs have no power over us. Right, but and it's it's a good political move. <laughs> you know, I, 
I guess politically, so they could say, oh, they attacked us, but good thing we defended. Now we have political and diplomatic sway or whatever. But that's a big risk for the American people, you know. Uh, Would have been been smarter to send in someone with uh, the information on how to uh, defuse the warhead. Or, see, because Scram, like the the guys back in the, the underground base... They know the launch codes. They know the codes to make the missile launch. There's right. got to be an additional code that actually arms the warhead. Right. So just don't put that code in. Now you've got a dummy missile that's fired at the United States, but the Russians don't know that it's a dummy missile. Yeah. And so when your Star Wars thing shoots it down you get all the benefits and if for some reason that tiny little bit of failure chance that you had you know you don't you know lose the eastern seaboard yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and that's another reason i think it's just stupid of this movie that that uh you know karen uh donna dixon is not actually briefed on what her the goal of her mission was like in advance yeah, but that's uh, compartmentalization is is a big thing because now now she has to wrestle with the decision to make that, and and even if she says she's okay with it, she might have to make that decision when she actually does it. You know. I yeah, I mean, I I get that, I get that, but uh, yeah, I just I just I you know yeah, I mean, this movie's like we've given it more time than it deserves. Deserves, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and the whole end of the movie like um, feels very like uh, like like it's trying to be a little Doctor Strange lovey, yeah. but at no point do I am I worried. Like I don't feel like I I care about the state. At no point did I. I, I and you you were you I'm you're of watching, that generation where like nuclear, nuclear war. I'm not watching a nuclear missile headed toward, and of course, like I, I would have been 14 when this movie came out, so maybe I would have felt different as a 14 year old kid sitting in the theaters in 1985. But definitely, when I watch it as a guy that's approaching 50 from the distance of like 45 years, like there's nothing about that nuclear missile launch that makes me even the slightest bit worried. I'm just sitting there saying like, well, everything else in this movie so far has just been resolved by, I don't know, just whatever seemed very convenient to the scriptwriter at the, at the moment. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure this is going to go nowhere as well. Just like everything else has. Yeah. And, and, uh, but you know, like I've seen a lot of movies now that deal with nuclear war possibilities and, you know, we we watch a lot of spy movies. So cold war type stuff is a big deal. And I'm not from that generation and I still get kind of on the edge of my seat with that stuff. And you're from that generation. So it should have gotten to you, but it's not played out in this movie. Not really. It's, it's like my parents and my uncle, uh, my uncles and aunts that, that really did like the whole, like you know, get under your desks kind of thing. That's not what I meant, though. I'm talking just Cold War because Cold War was, you know, it's a possibility and it's still there. So it was still looming. 
versus when I was growing up, it wasn't even like looming. It was kind of like something in the distant past or kind of a recent past, uh, you know. Uh, but, you know, Cold War was still heavy when you were growing up. It really does. I mean, it really does seem weird, though, um, that, you know, I mean, you know, we've been told over and over, like, you know, we've got enough nukes to, like, you know, kill everyone on the planet 1,000 times over. And there still hasn't been a single nuclear bomb detonated since, uh, well, Hiroshima was the first and then there was the second. Mm-hmm. That's a long fucking time ago. I mean, that's a, it's just weird, like, how we've just all become acclimated and just comfortable with the fact that, like, yep, nukes exist. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh, let's uh, quickly review our uh, best and worst. All right, my number three, Ace Tomatoes box. Don't put your logo on your on your drop thing. I mean, even if it's a secret logo, uh, you know, like that's it's it's unnecessary. Number three, worst. Number two, worst. There's this concern about there being a leak in the training program, but. What would that actually mean? Why would that be a problem? And why would you respond to it this way by putting some dummies through that same training program? It just doesn't go anywhere. And my number one is like the Russians just like months and months and months and not setting up and uh, checking in with the HQ. My number three, uh, Chevy Chase's cheating on the test was silly. Uh, my number two uh, was uh, when Chevy Chase went after the doctor at the toll when she obviously was not a doctor. Uh, my number one, the missile guards playing loud-ass music in the middle of nowhere and sound carries. My number three best... Chevy Chase actually gets a little bit of points here. Uh, I think that lie where he says he's here to assassinate the Russian premier, that was the right move. Uh, My number two and one both go to Karen. Uh, Number two is the way that she appeals to our guys to get them to help her. And then, uh, you know, for sure, my number one best also goes to her. And, uh, you know, she is posing as a doctor. We don't know that at the time. But uh, she and her partner can't do the surgery. What about these guys? Let's put the attention on them. Everything that she does uh, with, uh, you know, um, being, like, seeming okay with getting seduced by Chevy Chase and then also kind of throwing the two of them under the bus into a situation that she thinks that they can't actually handle while giving herself and her partner cover from a situation that they definitely can't handle. That's number one. That's actually decent spy mm-hmm. moves. Yeah. Uh, my number three was Chase and Aykroyd pretending to be doctors, mainly because it was the funniest moment in the movie, but I, I, they were quick on their feet, I guess. Uh, my number two is Chase pretending to assassinate the Russian premier, as Todd pointed out. And my number one is the quote-unquote spy master setting up decoys for another mission. Um, 
we were really drawing here, so I'm not I'm not really hitting these as hard as I could. Uh, uh, moving on to redactions. So yeah, redactions. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the instinct is to start at a five and see if we, you know, which would be the most unrealistic uh, spy movie possible. Uh, and then and then maybe see if we have reasons to work our way down from that. Uh, I see we gave Arman Flint a five. Is this Arman Flint level bullshit? Or is I it mean, it's never- realistic like- that the situation could happen uh, as far as like the general setup, but it wasn't executed well. Uh, well, okay. Well, I mean, the, but this movie, you're saying this movie, though, Spies Like Us, more or less realistic than Man Who Knew Too Little. And remember, like, you know, it's not just the premise, but also the other tradecraft that we see along the way. Like, oh, you have, yeah. You have a bad premise, but still, like, have some, you know, decent spy stuff going on. And then, like, you know, if it's supposed to be a little more realistic than uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little, then uh, that would get us into La Femme Nikita territory out of four and i i'm feel i'm feeling that i'm feeling that four 4.5 4.25 now we're not we're not gonna split, we're we're not gonna gonna split hairs that much yeah. you gotta pick you gotta pick uh uh is this uh less realistic than la femme nikita or is yes. it more realistic than the man who knew too little i know tough choice uh, uh, I feel we might have snubbed La Femme Nikita at this point. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think I think it's less realistic than La Femme Nikita. So let let's maybe go with the four and a half. There we go. Yeah, four point five, and that's the show. Good Shepherd. Next, next episode. Next, next episode. episode. Yep. So much more to talk about on that one. Yes, I'm really excited for that one because we've uh, mentioned it several times and I'm really, really excited. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin MacLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.